Well, Christmas um, is an interesting time, and when you start thinking of Christmas, you start thinking of gifts, and we've begun this series called Unwrapping Christmas, and what does that mean? And, and as I was thinking about that, uh, there's been a couple occasions in my life where I have been in that Christmas moment where gifts have been handed out, and, and you look at that gift, and it's kind of unexpected what it's going to be, what is it? And, and one of those was when I was a little kid and I was younger and we had a, a lady who was a friend of ours who we would call Aunt Ethel. You know how you give aunt to someone who's kind of close and you want them to feel close and, and so Aunt Ethel was a person who would come and be a part of some of our Christmases and, and she wasn't there at all of them but she'd come once in a while and she would come bearing gifts and she'd bring these gifts to us as kids and so she came with her gifts and she one day put you know those gifts as we celebrated Christmas together and here was her gift and, and so I opened it and I tore it open I was excited to get to it and there were socks well you know, it wasn't what I quite expected, and so socks. And, and then, you know, my brother, you know, both of us kind of like, oh, thank you. You know how you kind of those, well, thank you, with your mom kind of kicking you. Kinda, yes, we're really, th-. well, then um, a few years later, she came, and Aunt Ethel came and with a gift, and not expecting again, you know, we're hoping something, and so we open it up, and we get these, these hats that, you know, we put in our closet. I think they came into style when we were, you know, this is when we were little, when we were in high school, they finally, you know, they made it, so we did get some use out of them. But you ever had any of those kind of gifts like that? I, I remember one time um, being up in Thief River with my wife, and we were at um, her brother's house, and we were opening gifts, and, and, and she has two nephews that are, were a couple years apart, and they were like in grade school at the time, and, and they had these big gifts from their grandmother. Grace's mom, you know, had these big gifts with, with Aaron's name and Seth's name, and so Aaron, they went, and he opened his first, and he looked at his gift, and he pulled it out, and he goes, A pillow! And he was really, very obviously, wearing his motions on his sleeve, disappointed. And, and you know, it was kind of like, oh, come on, Aaron, be excited. You know, they're trying. And so then his younger brother takes the gift and opens it up. And you know, it's the same size. So you kind of know what's going to happen there. So he opens it up, grabs a pillow, looks at Grandma, goes, a pillow, Grandma, that's what I've always wanted. So I think we could all share those kind of gifts, right? Those kind of gifts that you just don't expect and you kind of react to it and you go, oh, what's that about? Well, when you unwrap Christmas, truly unwrap Christmas, if you could kind of go back and, and not be so familiar with the story, if you were there as one of the first ones, what do you think they expected? How do you think they reacted? Because you find the creative, creative genius behind the universe, the all-powerful, ever-present incomprehensibly brilliant, unfathomably wise God, the blessed only ruler, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to this one who receives honor and might forever, descending into a sea of humanity on this dirty, dusty little planet to be conceived as a humble, helpless, vulnerable infant to a poor, unmarried teenage girl and a no-name, simple-minded carpenter in a backwoods village, Nazareth, and to eventually be born in the outskirts town of Bethlehem in a cold, damp, smelly, cave-like barn where he is wrapped in some strips of cloth and laid in a wooden food trough, which we kind of euphemistically talk about as a manger. And he's announced 
to dirt poor shepherds who probably smelled worse than the smelly stable. And from Mary to Joseph to Nazareth to a stable to a manger to some heathen wise men to some blue collar shepherds, when you unwrap Christmas and you see this incredibly great and huge and wonderful all-glory-given God becoming an infant being, helpless, vulnerable, weak. And you unwrap it, and you just see it's full of humility. And one of the great gifts of Christmas that we see throughout every Christmas story is this sense of humility. That day when they were waiting, they didn't expect socks and pillows. That's not what they were looking for. I'm sure their faces were shocked when the message was brought to them that Jesus, God in flesh, this one who could have entered this world in a whole number of ways and a ball of fire could have descended from a mountain, could have been born to royalty. You just think of all the ways that God could have come. He entered, he could have entered with a bang, capturing all the people's um, understanding, the wise and, the, and, the, and, and those who would be considered to be prestigious. But instead, when you unwrap Christmas and you read the stories and you read them with discernment and you read them with an eye for those who first read it, there's a bit of irony to the story. God becomes a baby on a silent yet freezing night in a cave that smells like cow dunk. Right? And when you unwrap the gift, it's all rather humbling. Unveiling as you do so, one of the great gifts of God to us is humility. It's who he is. It's who he calls us to be. Jesus would say at one point in his ministry the reality of this in Matthew twenty three twelve. And here's the words of Jesus. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. There is in this gift of humility this deep understanding that in humility the glory of God shines. And so as I talk about unwrapping gifts, and we'll look at some next week, we'll be looking more at patience and then wisdom and and peace. This week I want to talk about humility, and I'd love for you to consider it to be something maybe top on your own prayer shopping list, if you want to put it that way. God, what does it mean for me to step in to understand humility and vulnerability and weakness? And what does it mean for me to be one who follows Jesus in this world that's just, everyone's going at their own pace, grabbing and getting everything they want, and here you come into this world, you come into relationship, and through it, you come into it with humility. What does that look like? What does it feel like? In fact, when you think about humility, it is actually the gift that brings heaven to earth. It is humility that opens the door for God to move. In the New Testament, if you read in the book of James, and James being the brother of Jesus, and Peter, who was the, one of the key followers of Jesus who built the church, you have two, what I call, people that you should pay attention to, and both of them quote a scripture found in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. And whenever you find different places in Scripture quoting something in the Old Testament, there's something really important about that. That Scripture was one that was marked them and they understood. And in that Scripture, you see these words, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. So there's something in this gift, something that God calls us to pay attention to. 
So let me just say before I begin on this, just kind of a brief caveat. Um, I admit as I considered speaking about humility, I, I, I honestly faced a dilemma because I, you know, whenever you speak on humility, if you were to get a, how many would like to speak on humility? And it's just not something, you know, you, you know in, in fact, obviously, I'm uncomfortable to do it, but not enough to not do it. So maybe that says there's something about pride. I don't know. Humility stands alone among the virtues in that as you think you have it, you probably don't. And yet the reverse doesn't follow. Not thinking yourself humble is no indication that you are. Because you, you may be right. Both the arrogant and the humble are unlikely to think of themselves as humble. So thinking, and, and to be perfectly honest, when I, when I was thinking about this, and, and since you know me, many of you know me well, I am a strong-minded, achievement-focused, image-conscious, future-oriented, seldom-satisfied personality who struggles with humility, vulnerability, and weakness. So I say that right up front. So why in the world am I speaking on humility? Only because when we see humility, we see it all over the Christmas story, and it's what's in the Word of God, and the Word of God is faithful to share with us what's true. And so I... I share that in the light of, of what God has said in his word. And one of the things that I find about this gift is it's really interesting. As I talked about it, kind of, it's unexpected, some of the gifts that we get at Christmas. But what I, as I began to work on this, one of the very first things I wanted to share with you around this gift of humility is as much as you think that you maybe want it, it is what I call the unwanted gift. be perfectly honest with you, nobody, if you were to really get honest about it, very few of you would really want humility, especially as I begin to share. And, and, and it's, it's something you find again and again as you, as you follow Jesus through his teaching when he is with his disciples. You'll find that what they really wanted was honor, recognition, and things such as that. In fact, they live in a day in the Greek culture, in the Roman culture, and we'll talk about this in just a moment, where, where honor and recognition is what you really grab for. And so Jesus, on a number of occasions, would look at his followers and and they'd be kind of grabbing for that honor and recognition. They weren't really into the humility thing. He, and he would say to them, whoever welcomes this little child. So he'd grab a little child, this humble little child. He says, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is the least, as he's holding this child in front of him and he's teaching, he who is the least among all of you, he's the greatest. Another time, and, and so you find this again and again, this must have come up often. Jesus says in, Ma- in, in Matthew 18, 4, whoever humbles himself like this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever wants to become great at one point, Jesus says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all, must be a servant, must willingly move into a place of humility and understand weakness and must live in vulnerability. Humility in the ancient world was the gift really nobody wanted. You can go back in history and you can read about this. In the Greek world, that was something they didn't care for. They wanted honor. They wanted recognition. They, they were really hoping to be known, to be important. They wanted to be a somebody. And it's really not too different than our world today, is it? I mean, that's, that's the explosion of reality TV. Can I get on for just a few seconds? And, and so you see this even in our own world. In, in their day, there's a, a book that was um, written by a guy named John Dixon, and he says in this book, and he's using the Greek word humilitas, he writes, in the 147 pithy maxims of the Delphic canon, and and pithy maxims are just 
what I would call like Proverbs, really wise sayings, things that if you want to live and in, in, in really experience goodness and, and, and understand that, then you, you'll, you'll, you'll do these things or you'll pay attention to these things. So in these 147 pithy maxims in the Delphic Canic, which was written like 6th um, century BC, so it was long before Christ, this culture was, was infiltrated with these thoughts, considered by the Greeks to be the sum and substance of all ethical life, these 147 pithy maxims. And John Dixon writes, as he goes through them, and he lists many of them, he says, there is no mention of the theme of, or let alone the word of, humility. And if you go into the Roman world, they really didn't have much time for it either. They, they considered modesty or discipline to be a good thing, because if you were able to kind of restrain yourself in a dignified way, that's more self-control, that's not necessarily humility, but that was something that was good. But when it came to the idea of humility, which they would call the word the willful, shameful lowering of oneself, that is just not something that they practiced or they considered to be a virtue. And so in the ancient culture, humility, this idea of vulnerability, this sense of weakness, how many, how many in the work world really push, if you're you know, kind of in, in the you know, cutthroat world, you know, be weak and vulnerable? It's not something that's really prized. It's not necessarily often even prized in marriage relationships or in social settings. And if we're honest with ourselves, I doubt it's the gift most of us really, when you come down to it, think about it, want, until you begin to think about it in a deeper, more spiritual sense. Because this gift comes wrapped, it it comes wrapped in so many different packages. It, It comes wrapped in experiences, and in that experience often is the gift of humility if we're able to see it and recognize it and go, that's something that God has given me in this place that I need to grab hold of. So, for instance, let me just share with you where the gift of humility sometimes shows up in a package that I don't know if we necessarily always desire to have. It forces you to see yourself and look at things in a a different way. For instance, when you blow it, how many like to blow it? How many like to screw up? How many like to to fail? I mean, let's, let's face it, that's not kind of on the top of our list, right? But the reality is we're human beings, and so in many ways there's going to be times, because as we say here in our church, nobody's perfect, you will fail, you will fall, you will make mistakes. And in that mistake or in that failure, which you can either hide or try and run from or not acknowledge or whatever, there is an opportunity to experience vulnerability and weakness and to be able to be in a place where you can grab a hold of humility in a way that God can show up, that God can teach you something about yourself. I remember when I um, was going to college, and I had my friends here in the first service from, from Wheaton College. He was with, in, at college with me, both he and his wife. And, and so I shared this story. Um, it's not the most becoming story. It's not really a good church story, I guess. But when I was going to college, I had the opportunity. My dad said, you know, go ahead, and you can pick a suit. And I don't know how many parents buy suits for their kids going to college these days. So anyway, we were looking at, and what was really hot and really in that that day was the leisure suit. Okay, how many guys got a, had gotten a leisure suit? Well, I was, I was ahead of my time. I, I didn't want a leisure suit, but I saw this really cool denim suit. So I picked up this denim suit, and it was, I mean, it looked cool, and I thought it was great. So one day, it was a Sunday, I was going to church. I had my, my denim suit on. I'm in the cafeteria, and I got my, my, my tray with my food on. I, my, I had my hand in my pocket, and I'm walking along, and, and people are smiling. And, 
you know, fewer laughing. There's girls over here laughing. I'm thinking, wow, I must look pretty good. And I'm, I'm walking along, and one of these upperclassmen calls me over, who I really didn't know very well, and he goes, come over. And he goes, no, closer, closer. And he goes, your fly's open. So I'm going... At that time in my life, that was, there was no gift in that experience at all. None. I actually was going home that day, and I went home, which is about an hour from there, and I did not want to come back to school. I was so full of shame. I was so in touch with everything rotten about failing and, 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 and maybe screwing up and, and not even being aware of it. And I've shared this story with you because in time, as you begin to grow and you understand in times when you're humbled because of a failure, because of your limitations, as you grow, you begin to grow into some things. And so as I was older, I remember one time it was in my early 30s, I was flying from Houston to a place, I was going to Chicago actually to the seminary for some meetings that I was, they were going to have there. And, and I was in my, in my seat and we were, and I loved reading and I had this Diet Coke and I turned a page and I flicked and I knocked the Coke into my lap. And I had white pants on. Yeah. It's one of those experiences. You ever sit in the seat when it's wet? It wasn't fun. So I, I'm, I'm getting off. I'm, in, I'm making, I'm, I'm flying through. So I got to go through. I'm, I'm flying through Houston from, Fort, from, I think it was Fort Lauderdale through Houston or something like that. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm there and I'm making my switch from one plane to another. And I'm, as I'm on my way, I'm thinking to myself, how do I hide this? And I've got my briefcase here, and I had a newspaper, and I'm thinking I could walk like this. And then, because I was in this place in my life where I was dealing with shame and weakness and vulnerability and trying to understand some of that, I just thought, you know what? I'm going to wear it like an emblem of pride. You know, you're thinking this is silly. No, this is down the street. I just, I went, you know what? I make mistakes. I screw up. And here's the gift I'm going to share with you in the midst of humility that, that I got in. I walked in. I think people looked at me and they saw like this guy has a problem. But you know what? It didn't matter. Because as I was walking, I continued to remember this incredible gift. I am just a human being. I have limitations. I am not perfect. Oh, praise God. And all of you around me should praise God. I'm not God. And in that sense, I stepped into my shame, my weakness, and my vulnerability, met it, opened it up, exposed it, and in so doing that, didn't just live in that, but grabbed hold of God, who is the one who realizes, I am just a human being. And you may be in that place. None of us should go around trying to screw up or make mistakes. I'm not saying it. I'm just saying we're, nobody's perfect, right? Everyone's welcome. Nobody's perfect. Anything's possible. Here's the anything's possible that nobody's perfect. You have a God who is greater than you. And your humanness, your limitations, your weakness, your vulnerability should pull you, push you and pull you to a place where you can just go, praise God. I know who I am. And I have a God who loves me. And he's the one who's perfect. And Christmas is all about this, this God coming in, in humility and, and, and becoming a man like us. Now, here's the thing I want you to notice as well. There is also an experience that you can experience where you can grab hold of humility. And it tells you something even deeper about yourself. You can, in a high-handedness, turn and look at God out of pride and self-will and live life and you might just say, I don't care what anyone else thinks, but I'm going to assert what I want and what I need. I don't care who gets hurt. I don't care how I offend God. 
And then you walk out and do that. And then usually what happens in those situations, it eventually in time unwinds and you find yourself, because of that, find yourself in a prison of your own stupid choices and high-handedness. And you find relationships broken and you things, find things broken before God. And as I was preparing this, I was thinking to myself, I'm not just talking about people maybe who have done it. Because every one of us, if we really get in touch with ourselves, here's one of the great gifts of humility in this. You understand not only am I marred, but I'm sinful. Because of the core of who I am, I need God. Not only is God perfect and I'm not perfect, I am actually a sinner who needs God to save me. And as I was thinking about and writing this, there may be some of you who right now in your life, in an area of your life, have your hand up high before God. And you're in this place, and you know what you're doing isn't right, and you're just going after it, and it's selfish, and it's self-centered. And it is a revelation of the very sin of your heart. You're marred because of that, that, um, that sinful condition that is in you. And as I'm talking about it, you're probably saying, get off it. Because what happens when you're in that place, God is speaking to you. You feel the shame. You feel the humility. You feel the weakness. You feel your vulnerability. And he wants you to cry out to him and say, save me from this. And you're probably saying, get off this topic, right? You see, there is this incredible gift that I don't think we really want. Because we like to think we're something more than we are, and then God gets a hold of us and says, no, 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 you're really pretty limited. You're just a human being. Praise God, you're not God. And then you move and also can begin to understand, not only am I just not perfect, it's not about nobody's... I'm actually deeply self-centered. I am a person that, that raises my hand before God and offends him and stands under his wrath. And yet God says, in this place, if you will open your heart and be humble and hear me, I will come in and I will save you from the very thing in your heart that's destroying you, your sin. And ultimately, that's the incredible gift of the humility of God, becoming a man, because he became a man as we celebrated here so that he could come in and step into history. Not only did he show us our own humanness and our own frailty and our own weakness and our own limitations, but he shows us also our sin and our need to be saved. You see, this isn't really what I call a wanted gift, right? But then there's other situations and experiences in your life um, that can open up your uh, humility in, in your weakness and vulnerability. Think about it. It, it. No one wants the experience of illness, right? But even in the experience of illness, you can come to a place where you can grab hold of God. My, my, my great-grandmother, Grandma Reef, I would, when I was in college, I would go to my grandmother's house and she would tell me about my great-grandmother, Grandma Reef. And she would talk about Grandma Reef and how she was away from the Lord and all these things until someday in her like, late 40s, early 50s, Grandma Reef got Parkinson's disease. Now, I, I don't wish that on anyone. But my, my, my grandmother, Grandmother Meyer, would tell me about Grandma Reef, and she would talk about how her favorite life verse is in Psalm 119. And I never quite understood it, but it, in, in, until I began to understand 
this truth and understanding of humility and the goodness of God. And in the verse goes like this, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees, your hand, your direction, your, your, your influence in my life. It was through her Parkinson's that God used that to humble her. She was in a place where she came to a place where she began to understand not only her limitations and not only her sin, but she began to understand even this disease, her helplessness. And it was through that as she began to experience the love of others in the family that God got a hold of her heart and changed her heart. I don't think it was a wanted thing, but it was a blessing for her. There's so many ways we can experience this gift of of humility through some of the ways it's wrapped that comes into our life as you grow older. First, let me just talk about when you're younger. Some of you who are younger, you may experience humility because you want to be 36 inches. You're just not there yet, right? And you're just not at that place. And then some of you, as you get older, think about this, the experiences. How many um, are getting more aches and pains in their body? Anybody? Okay, no one's raising their hand, so I know you all are. Um, how many are experiencing some loss of hearing? Uh, yeah. How many are a little more forgetful? You see, even in these experiences, it's this incredible gift of humility that just kind of causes us to understand our limitations and to see ourselves for who we are. And in that process of seeing ourselves for who we are, we are able to kind of to set this demarcation, this boundary, this understanding that helps us understand who we are so that we can know this God because it's in humility that God shows up. Think of another area in your own life where it comes sometimes and you get this gift of humility that you really don't want and it's happening because there's relational discord. You may have a relationship difficulty with your child, or you may have a relationship difficulty with a a parent as an adult child, or you may be having a relational difficulty with someone you love. Isn't it difficult to admit, think about it, to to admit to someone that the relationship you are to be the most intimate in doesn't have the kind of intimacy you would like? Who wants to step into that? Who wants to even talk about that? I've shared this before. I remember the first time I went to counseling earlier in our life, in our marriage, Grace came up to me. I don't know why it is. I think women sometimes. But anyway, she came up to me and, said, and, and laid this stuff out, and I'm going, whoa. And I remember thinking, I, I need to get some counseling help on this. So I kind of shrunk into the counseling office, and I'm sitting there making sure no one can see me. I kept thinking, what if someone from the church sees me? Like, well, What's wrong? I never have gone to a car mechanic place and go like this. I hope no one sees me here. <laughs> What's wrong with coming to understanding that, yeah, there's relational difficulty and there may be someone to come along that can help you understand yourself and, and allow for God to move and to work in your life. You see, the great thing that you read in the Word of God that Jesus is so countercultural that when he begins his Beatitudes, which are the blessings of God, if you want to talk about the, you know, the pithy statements of what it means to live and to walk and, to, and, and to, to know God, he starts out with one that blows everybody away because it's all about humility. He stands up and he says, blessed are you who are humble, or in a sense, poor. And, and it's not just that you're kind of poor in a subsistence kind of life. He's talking about poor to the sense that you cannot even get your next meal. You're standing out on the street corner asking for money in order to eat. That's what the word actually means. 
It's the idea that you have come to the end of yourself. You understand your limitations. You understand your heart. You understand your needs. You come to this place. Wrapped in your life right now might be an experience that's bringing you to the end of yourself because blessed are you. For those of you who come to the end of yourself, experience your limitation. Blessed are you for theirs is the kingdom of God. What does that mean? It means that God in this place of your limitation, if you open your heart and your hand to God and you cry out and say, God, would you, once again, great and mighty God who came at Christmas, would you once again come into my heart and into my life and into this situation? Because those who come to the end of themselves come to the beginning of the work of God in their life. And he will use your sin. He will use your failures. He will use an illness. He may use some relational breakdown. He may use the fact that you're getting older and you just aren't as virulent as you thought you were so that you can experience him. He will come as Christmas in humility, giving you the gift of humility so that in that place you can just step into it and say, God, I'm weak, I'm vulnerable. You know, that's one of the great marks of the church. But you know what? The church doesn't like to live in that place, right? How many wants that? How many likes to get... We don't like to get up, but that's one of the gifts. Now... There's just one other thing I'm going to share with you about this gift, and I I call it not just an unwanted gift, it's an unnerving gift. And the reason I say it's an unnerving gift is because the very idea of Christmas itself is humbling. Because if you're quite honest about it, it's unsettling, because what it means is Christmas is God's initiative from on high breaking into human history. You see, when you recognize that all the great works and achievements in your life, all the works of God in this world really are the result of God and they are a gift from God and they're not because you're wise or you're clever or you're gifted or you're talented or you've worked yourself to the bone or you have charm or you have some personality thing or whatever it is, but you begin to realize every gift you've been given, the money that you make, the abilities that you have, the time you have, How often I live in such a way where I go, well, you know, I can hold my abilities back in this situation. Or, yeah, I don't, you know, I can hold back. Rather than saying, God, the time I have with my schedule, the the abilities that I have, the money that I have, all that I have is from you and is yours. And even this idea of Christmas wasn't our idea. There was no human being who thought around and go, wouldn't this thing of Christmas be cool? Right? Santa Claus was taken from even this whole idea. And then we kind of twist it and make it our own. All that we have comes from the incredibly humble heart of God. Think about it. The great work of God at Christmas, it was his idea from the beginning. You go back to Genesis from the very beginning. Adam and Eve, not only they blow it, but they sin. And in Genesis 3.15, God comes and he curses Satan. And in his curse to Satan, he says, I will put enmity, hatred between you and the woman, he's saying to Satan. And between your offspring and hers, there will be this hatred. And Jesus, he will crush your head, and yet you will strike his heel. You may actually strike his heel. You may actually put him on a cross. You may actually put him to death. But I and he will be raised again. And life will flow from this humiliation, from this humility, because I inspired it. It's all about what I've come to do. And I am the one who not only has the idea of it, but I superintend it all the way to its completion. I go, that's incredible. 
Read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 and on sometime, where Paul talks about God using those things which are foolish to shame the wise and the weak, to shame the strong and the lowly and despise things and the things that are not in order to nullify the things that are, he says. The unnerving reality of this gift is that God doesn't need us to accomplish anything, but he still chooses to use us in places when we, in humility and faith, come to him. I've been going through Acts, and in and, and one of the ch- chapters, and I'll kind of close on this and close this, this message. In Acts chapter 13, I love this because you see God from the very beginning to the end. When you step into humility and you begin to start letting God do his work, he superintends. You might feel you're helpless. Think of it. Here's an infant child. Jesus comes, and God, his Father, superintends to make sure from the birth all the way to his death to his resurrection, he's superintending, he's caring for you. That's why when you stay in this place of humility and weakness, God not only has the idea, but he actually forms the idea and brings it to fruition. The reason you're sitting here in a church today isn't because some apostles sat down in a, in a boardroom and had this meeting where they started to take a whiteboard out and go, you know, we want to win the world. And so let's put together a five-year business plan. Uh, you know, so what we'll do is we'll kind of put some business performers together and then some cost analysis, and then we'll look at maybe here's some different routes to go, and you maybe will do this missionary trip and that missionary trip. No, it says now in the church at Antioch there were these prophets and teachers, and he lists a whole bunch of these guys. And, and catch this, while they were worshiping the Lord, so they're just saying in a humble place, God, we love you, we want you, we need you, we want to do something for you, we want to do something great for you. In humility, they're crying out to God, and they're fasting, and then as they are fasting, they're basically denying their, their eating for a period of time so that in a sense their physical um, desire for hunger reminds them of the fact that they want God more than anything to do what only he can accomplish. And it says, the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul. Isn't that cool? You're here because of God, because he loves you. When you put yourself in a place and you say, God, I want to, in humbleness, begin to walk with you, and I recognize I have this need, and I begin to fast, and I begin to see God steps in with his ideas and his heart, and he begins to move through you, and as he moves through and you stay in this place, he begins to form, and he begins to bring to fruition. He superintends your humility and your weakness and your, your vulnerability, in order to get you to that place, Jesus was fully confident when he became a baby, Jesus, God-man, that God would superintend and bring it to fruition. I just encourage you, this Christmas, the greatest gift is to step into the place where God might be calling you to experience your weakness and vulnerability and to worship him and cry out to him. I'm going to ask the team if they'd come out and uh, close this service. And I just want you to be praying about, as we kind of come to this place of close, I would like for you to be thinking about this. Where is there an experience right now in my life where God has allowed for me to feel, and if you're willing to, my weakness, my vulnerability, my limitations, and where can I cry out and say, God, I want you to meet me here because in the In the place of my limitation and where I've come to an end, I invite you to begin whatever you want to do. Just think about that.